0: Hello and welcome to the MMA 20 Years Ago podcast, where we are belatedly going back in the time machine to July of 1997 to bring you coverage of the UFC 14 pay-per-view. Joining me as we continue the journey into MMA history, we have Tom Martin.
1: Good evening, Chris. We really must get that time machine fixed. It's sending us in a month late. That's just not, it's not good. Let's get it sorted. It's Bob's fault. Two
0: consecutive, two consecutive months I've been belatedly back in the time machine, but the most important thing is that we do in fact go back, so
1: yeah, absolutely yeah, good um, to be here let's get, let's get, get going on this one.
0: Yeah, it's just the two of us this month, so it might be a slightly shorter show than normal, but um, Tom, over to you to lead us through somewhat of a short but noteworthy new segment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So not a, a massive news month uh, in terms of big things, but there's a couple of things that are interesting that are uh, worth talking about, particularly one that will uh, shape the UFC as we know it going forward. Um, uh, many of many of these things happen um, in these car- in these um, monthly shows or bi-monthly shows, but uh, this one is actually one that we still see today, so it would be interesting to talk about. Um, so first thing on the news, um, though the change wasn't explicitly stated anywhere throughout the actual show, Uh, UFC 14 saw the introduction of a third weight class within uh, the organization. The former lightweight class of anything under 200 pounds has been replaced by a new middleweight division of fighters between 170 and 199 pounds. And the lightweight division is now 170 pounds and below, um, which obviously is is shaping the way that we know things today. Uh, There was also the introduction of mandatory UFC approved gloves weighing between four and six ounces each Alongside this, mouthpieces and groin protectors are now compulsory for all UFC fighters. UFC 14 took place in Birmingham, Alabama, and the local publicity before the show was all favourable with no last minute attempts to get the show moved out of town, which is quite, quite unusual. Uh, One local politician who attended the pay-per-view was interviewed on a local news channel stating not only did he thoroughly enjoy the show, but that there was nothing to the stories about brutality. This was obviously helped by the fact that this was one of the least vicious UFC shows to date, certainly one of the least vicious that I have seen, featuring no significant blood at all. The most serious catastrophe of the show didn't even take place in the octagon, but it took place in the crowd as the wife of Joe Marrera, who fought in the main show opener, went into premature labour while watching her husband's fight. She must have been very excited. Uh, The the pay-per-view main event was one of major historical significance. Maurice Smith defeated Mark Coleman, which saw the striker overcoming all the odds to defeat the grappler for a world championship for the first time in the UFC, signaling a meaningful turning point within the history of mixed martial arts. Uh, Even though it was well known the company was planning on ending the year with a huge Mark Coleman versus Vita Belfort fight, it said that they were still thrilled with the outcome of the main event in this one, as they consider Smith to be a really great talker, a very marketable guy and in every sense is a pro. Um, Smith was previously the extreme fighting champion when that company went out of business, um, and he could be about to become the champion of a second organization to close down, as there is a real fear about the future of the UFC at this stage. Uh, we can give you a spoiler alert and say it didn't close down, but it's interesting to know that it, this was happening. Uh, there is no way UFC shows can be profitable unless carried by more cable systems, and as things stand, there's no political climate for a turnaround on that issue. Uh, finally, an interesting side note is that numerous time-warner systems around the country actually did carry UFC 14, despite previously stating that they wouldn't do so due to complaints from subscribers. Uh, the downside of this is that the event wasn't advertised on these systems, and as a result, the late is likely to be microscopic. Um, so, Chris, just a couple of things from there. Again, nothing really huge of note, but I think one that's really interesting is the introduction of the, these new uh, weight class divisions. Um, and it'll be, it's, it, it's going to be interesting to see how that, makes, that's how that makes the cards pan out and the fights and the sort of. Uh, the, it makes everything a little bit fairer in my eyes. It'll be interesting to see how that play, pans out. And also the introduction of gloves in every fight. I feel that's a big one um, because bare knuckle boxing is something that is actually having a bit of a resurgence in 2017. Uh, but in 1997, was looked on as being absolutely brutal. So, do you want to just. What are your thoughts on those two points there? And how do you think that's going to impact these, these cards going forward?
0: Well, firstly, I think the, the more weight divisions is. A good thing for the sport, it brings better competition, um, more varied fights and greater prestige for those who are able to win championships in their respective weight classes. If, if you've got three weight divisions, you can have three world champions and you can headline a show with any one of them if you've got the right drawing card. So yeah. it's a positive thing for the marketability of the UFC. I think it's a positive thing for the fairness of fights. There's There's been numerous guys we've seen up until this point in the timeline who have come in and just been bettered by size and not skill or ability. But maybe if they were up against a fighter more this, more their weight, they would have fared better and had the ability to do so. So it's a positive we've got that moving forward. And I, I think it's a, obviously it's a positive with the, uh, the gloves. I mean, I, I said before when we were talking about, um, and keys in the octagon and things like that. I think uniformity, maybe not to the degree of the, the rebuilt deal and, and certainly what that's done for fighter pay is bad. But, um, uniformity makes the sport look more professional. And, uh, as we all know, these light fingerless gloves are now synonymous and iconic in the UFC. And I think, um, that was a great long-term thing as well.
1: Yeah, I'd agree on, on pretty much all of that. I, I think that with the weight classes, how many times have we seen a fight where it's so clearly mismatched by the size of the two guys, and the fight is so disappointingly short, or it doesn't develop or go anywhere because of the weight difference, and because guys can just smother others, they can't move, or they're just outrun, they get, they get tired within 30 seconds because they're 280 pounds against the guy that's 180, and uh, it doesn't go anywhere, so... I think that's a, that's a big one. Uh, yeah, and the, and the gloves, it, it's, it's forming part of the UFC as, as it looks today. And like you say, with the Reebok thing, some people consider that to be a uniform approach isn't a good thing. But for me, with the gloves, I think this is good because it, it, in every, it puts everyone on a, a level playing field uh, in terms of the striking. You know what, you know what a punch is going to feel like. You don't necessarily know who's going to be throwing the punch, but it does add a layer of consistency to it, and it means the fighters can prepare in a different way when it comes to the striking element um, of, of, of the game. Um, and the, other, the only other thing, Chris, I would talk about is the um, fact that the, this, this event wasn't tried to, you know, nobody, it wasn't tr- local um, officials, government officials didn't try and move it out of the city that it was meant to be taking place in. And Birmingham, Alabama was quite welcoming of this, uh, this event. And the local politician said that he thought that it was, it was enjoyable and it wasn't even brutal. So do you think that will play a, a part in, in how people perceive the UFC after this point?
0: Oh, they've been fighting an uphill battle pretty much the entire timeline. We've been doing this and had trouble with politicians and cable providers and whatnot. So it's just really nice to see them have some positive press, especially from a politician who attended the show. And it's not just a politician like we've had John McCain making completely unfounded allegations before, probably never watched a UFC show, just going on word of mouth and rumours and things like that. This is a politician who went there in person, experienced the thing, experienced the crowd and had a great time and sort of came out feeling about considering more of a sport than, than a brutal any more like, violent he, he, he appreciate the sporting aspect and there's, there's a positive thing for the UFC but as we well know looking back from 2017 I mean the, the dark days are yet to come really for for the UFC and their struggle to get on more cable providers and things it's only going to get worse before it gets better
1: yeah absolutely yeah, that, that's all to come and I think as well something to bear in mind here is that back in these days it was called UFC and mixed, mixed martial arts wasn't a well known term at this stage and it's the the actual sport itself didn't even really have a name so people that's why people called it cage fighting and even to this day i think i think we touched on this before actually on a previous show but people even when they refer to ufc and mma now they refer to it as cage fighting because that's what it was known as for years and i think this is this is the sort of thing that helps to put that to bed in in, in, to a degree even though it still hangs around um and as you say it's great to have a politician talking positively about going to one of these shows rather than running into the ground and and trying to kill the business before it's actually taken off so yeah that's about it for the news at that point Chris I think if if you're ready we'll we'll jump back and we'll uh, start looking at the pay-per-view UFC 14 itself
0: yeah let's jump straight into our review of UFC 14 actually Tom I'm going to throw it straight back to you would you uh, kindly kick us off with the results of the show
1: Oh, anyone would think I was hosting this, wouldn't they? Yeah, absolutely. No problem. <laughs> so um, we've got in the card, we've got um, the heavyweight tournament, we've got a middleweight tournament, and then we've got our main event, heavyweight championship fight, super fight. Um, the, both of the tournaments had alternate bouts. Um, so I'll give you everything uh, from the bottom up. So in the uh, middleweight alternate bout, uh, Tony Frickland defeated Donny Chappelle via submission uh, in, after 1 minute 31 seconds. And in the semi finals of the middleweight tournament, Joe Marrera defeated Yuri Volin via unanimous decision after the full 12 minutes plus three minute overtime, uh, taking it to 15 minutes. Um, in the second semi final, we had Kevin Jackson defeating Todd Butler via submission after one minute 27 seconds. And in the final, uh, Kevin Jackson defeated Tony Frickland via submission, a rear naked choke after only 44 seconds. Uh, the heavyweight tournament was started by an alternate belt where Alex Hunter defeated Sam Fulton via TKO punches after 2 minutes, 22 seconds. The semifinals, Mark Kerr defeated Moti Horenstein via TKO punches after, again, 2 minutes and 22 seconds. Uncanny. In the second semi semi-final for the heavyweights, Dan Bobish defeated Brian Johnson via submission after 2 minutes, 10 seconds. And in the final of the heavyweight tournament, Mark Kerr defeated Dan Bobish via submission um, via a method I've never heard of before, a chin to the eye. Um, must, must, be a, must be a submission hold he learned around the back of his friend's house. And that's, that was only after one minute and 38 seconds. And in our main event heavyweight championship super fight, Maurice Smith defeated, yes, defeated Mark Coleman via unanimous decision after 21 minutes, including two rounds of three minute overtime. Back to you, Chris.
0: Yeah, cheers, Tom. It, um, before we get into the show review, just some quick thoughts about the show overall, more, more generally. A week of UFCs we've had so far, and it, it wasn't really the fault of the promotion by any means. I mean, I'm sure we'll, we'll we'll get to it, obviously, but the opener was an absolute snooze fest. I couldn't think of a worse way to kick off a pay per view, really. Um, and for for the most part, all the other tournament matches. Were too short to ever develop into anything great. This show was the epitome for me of a of a one a one fight show, with the main event propping my enjoyment up a huge way. And probably be if I if I was to give this show a, a positive mark at the end of the review, then I'd say a good ninety percent of that will be down to how exciting the main event was. And this was by no means a bad show, but it, I'd say it was entirely skippable and. A, and main event aside, I'm not sure you'd have got your money's worth on pay-per-view. Tom, what were your thoughts on the show?
1: Yeah, I'd agree to a large extent. I think that this is one of the... In terms of if you're ranking the overall quality of every, every fight on the card, this is one of the weakest ones that we've seen. However, it is a hugely pivotal, pivotal... Yeah, I'll put my teeth back in. Hugely pivotal moment for the UFC in the way that fighters of different um, disciplines will be looking at how, how it, it, up to this point it, and it's such a huge main event you could you can almost completely forget the rest of the card because it's almost like 90% of the card is the old UFC and that 10% at the end shows you how it will be going forward because a, a lot of the f- card and we'll go through this there was a lot of wrestling a lot of time on the ground and a lot of time on the ground with very little happening which is one of the things with, with UFC that people frown upon because they say, oh, I like to see people fighting. I don't like to see them rolling around on the ground doing nothing. I mean, these guys, and a lot of the times, weren't even rolling. They were just lying. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's a main event that is undoubtedly worth um, watching if you haven't seen it already. We'll go into it in some detail. Um, but the, car, the actual show itself, yeah, not the UFC's fault. And again, it's not any of the fighters' fault either, really, because they're only fighting who they've been, up, been put up against. But it does show you that there's, there's a big jump to where UFC goes after this point um, from, from watching this card. I agree with you.
0: One slight positive I will add before you jump in is that the production values have, have sort of steadily in, 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 uh, impressed and increased in, in how good they are as we've progressed through the timeline, and they kept that up here. I mean, it's a much more professional feel to the show. There's less dead air in between flights. They've got video packages ready to go. If someone pulls out, they show you the alternate fight to fill a bit of time. The way they cover themselves throughout the three hours is a lot better than it was.
1: Um, Yeah, I I, agree. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, Chris, I agree. I was going to say I agree, but also I think there are still parts of the show that do make it come across and it is it is an underground thing still at this stage but it does still look a long way away from the glossy products that it becomes later on and not too far ahead of this either actually in a few years time it starts looking completely different um, but that's just as more money gets pumped into the company they've got more money to put behind the production of it and uh yeah it's just a bit by bit you can see it but this is still quite archaic in the way it's presented even though it's functional and it works well and it flows well um but anyway yeah sorry back back to you
0: no no problem Tim. Um, So, yeah, UFC 14 Showdown. We are live from a sold-out Boutwell Auditorium in Birmingham, Alabama. We open with a video package hyping tonight's main event of Mark Coleman versus Maurice Smith for the UFC heavyweight title. Our hosts are Bruce Beck and Jeff Blatnick, who explain that Smith and Coleman is practically a unification bout as Smith was the champion of the now-defunct Extreme Fighting Organization. They're really Promoting the grappler versus striker element of the contest too. We have a quick look at the brackets for the two tournaments with numerous UFC debutants in both weight divisions. All the rules are the same as the last show um, we, and the time limits are as follows. We've got a 12 minute round in the semi-finals and a 15 minute round in the finals as well as the super fight. Uh, both in the semis and the finals we have optional overtime periods which are three minutes in the, in the super fight we have two 3 minute overtime periods after that we head straight to the octagon to kick things off with our middleweight tournament semi finals so tom back to you to introduce the fighters
1: yeah absolutely so we have yuri volon versus joe morera yuri volon is a former heavyweight boxer who the announcers claim has had 273 fights he must be exhausted he's seen here making his MMA debut, or UFC, as we know it's in 1997. The mauler himself stands at six foot four and weighed in at 197 pounds. His opponent, Joe Moreira, is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt who enters with a 0-1 UFC record after his loss to ECW shoot fighter and podcast legend Paul Valens at UFC 8. Moreira uh, initially weighed in at 203 pounds, um, and was touted as the only one who could give tournament favourite Kevin Jackson any competition, but it was Jackson who loaned Moreira his plastic sweatsuit he'd brought that he uses when making weight, uh, or or when trying to shed weight, I should say, uh, allowing Moreira to cut to the £199 rather than be disqualified and not be able to fight.
0: Thank you very much, Tom. Back in the Octagon, Bruce Buffer runs through the introductions, and Big John McCarthy gets us underway. Volin charges out and looks to close the distance between the two men immediately. Moreira ducks a punch and gets a comfortable takedown down into half guard before passing and getting into mount with ease. Moreira hooks his ankles around Volin's legs, making for a completely flat mount with Moreira unable to posture up whatsoever, but he prevents the Latvian from escaping underneath. Moreira holds Volin in place and begins to land some short punches to the head. Volin in return begins flailing with punches to the body from the bottom but they have little to no impact. Moreira throws the occasional elbow or headbutt but for the most part con- seems content in holding Volin in place just smothering him much to the stain much to the disdain of the crowd who begin booing around the 5 minute mark. It's have almost no action they follow almost the exact same pattern of the previous 5 minutes. The crowd boo occasionally Moreira in complete control in a dominant position, but makes no real attempt to do anything but maintain his superior position. As we approach the 10-minute mark, Big John McCarthy has finally seen enough and calls for the fighters to stand up. The fight restarts, but Moreira is able to quickly get the takedown before Vaughn can even land a punch. He gets back into the mount and holds this position again until we reach the 12-minute time limit. We head straight into the three minutes of overtime, which the crowd boo the very idea of. And uh, Moreira again gets a takedown into side control. Once again, he takes the mount with ease for the third time in the fight, smothers falling in out, throwing the very occasional short strike. He maintains his position again until the end of the fight. Fifteen minutes have passed, and Moreira is given the unanimous decision victory. Tom, what did you make of this opener?
1: oh boy uh so if you were trying to start a show off and get people uh the opposite like if you if you i can't think of a worse way to start it off because if it was a fight where it went 15 minutes and there was loads happening you'd say oh wow a great epic fight we're going to have a whole night ahead of us if it was a quick crime with a quick chaos submission you'd say exciting let's keep moving this one goes on and on and on and on and on and nothing happens um it, it, you could, before it even started, I knew that was going to happen. Um, when you've got someone that's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt against someone who has, and the, the commentators even said this, zero experience on the ground. So Volin had never, ever done any mat work in his life. It's so predictable where this is going to go. It's like taking a stranger off the street and putting him in there with one of the Gracie boys and saying, see how long you can last. You know, it, it, it's, it's ridiculous. However, Moreira didn't do enough with his dominant position that he had for, you know, nine on 15 minutes. Um, but he, he certainly stopped Vaughan from being, being able to do anything from underneath. Um, yeah, I mean, it was patient from Moreira. He, it, but it, when I say it was patient, he, he kept waiting and didn't actually really ever seem to do anything. He threw some nice jabs and headbutts in there. Um, and he, his positioning was clever because he was sitting just above Vorland's hips So even if Walens did know what he was doing in in terms of Brazilian Brazilian jiu-jitsu, to flip him up and whip his hips up, um, he couldn't have done that because he was sitting so high up on him. He was just going to take the gas out of his out of his uh, chest and leave him sprawling on the mat. But he wasn't even trying to do that because I don't think he knew what to do. He didn't know whether to scratch his ass or or wipe his wipe his nose. So um, yeah, it was it was boring. It went on for so long and it was a real disappointment. Um, Yeah, John stood him up. Uh, he gave a couple of warnings in there, uh, and then the overtime, and then the immediate takedown when the overtime started. It was almost laughable. Um, but, you know, one of the commentators said, ground attack neutralizes the standing attack, and this is a prime example of why a mismatch of fights like this can cause horror shows, which is, why, which is what I was alluding to, saying um, the main event is so important in this card because it's sort of a step in the direction of that not happening because of what happens. But, yeah, it was, it was dull as dishwater.
0: I mean, at first I was going to say you were being too kind on this because you said, you said Moreira's patient. I mean, this was dreadful. Like, Vaulin had absolutely no ground game, as you say, as the announcer said. He was completely one dimensional. Moreira is a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu black belt, a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu national champion. He had him in the mount for probably 13 of the 15 minutes and he didn't attempt a single submission. Like, I was so bored. This is, pro- like, you said it, but I couldn't, in fact, imagine a worse, less exciting pay-per-view opener than this. He just laid there maintaining dominant position, and it was very, very boring. I couldn't believe it took uh, Big John as long as it was 10 minutes in the fight to stand him up. One thing I will say in Moreira's defence, which we will uh, get to later on in the show, It was either the first or second headbutt he threw early in the fight. And you could see in his interview later on in the show, this massive goose egg above his right eye. And in throwing that headbutt, he knocked himself a bit loopy. He gave himself a concussion that would rule him out for the rest of the tournament, Mm. which might explain the, the lack of action in this one, if you're being kind. This is the reason this was still dreadful.
1: It doesn't change my opinion of it, unfortunately.
0: No, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. Uh, so, Moreira proceeds to the uh, middleweight tournament final. After that, we cut straight to the octagon again, and we're heading straight into the second middleweight tournament semi final. So, Tom, back to you to introduce the fighters.
1: Yeah, sure. So, our second uh, middleweight uh, semifinal is Todd Butler versus Kevin Jackson. Uh, Butler enters with a 0-1 MMA record, but is making his UFC debut. The Kenpo Karate practitioner weighed in at 199 pounds. His opponent, Kevin Jackson, has an Olympic gold medal in freestyle wrestling from 1992, so only five years ago. He enters with a 1-0 MMA record, but is also making his UFC debut in this fight. Jackson also weighed in at the exact same weight of 199 pounds.
0: Uh, before the show, Jackson had been really hyped within sort of the MMA, well, the no-holds-barred, I suppose, community as the, this huge UFC prospect, and he was comfortably the pre-tournament favourite. As as well as being an Olympic gold medal-winning wrestler, he was also considered to be one of the more round-rounded wrestlers in terms of his submissions and his striking. So he's really, really uh, heading into this tournament. Big John McCarthy gets us underway. They circle each other initially, with Butler slightly on the back foot, clearly wary of the takedown. Jackson's able to close the distance, getting into the clinch and driving Butler back against the cage. Butler is briefly able to defend against the takedown, but Jackson drops his levels, lifts Butler's legs from out uh, out underneath him and plants him down onto the mat. Butler scrambles to avoid the mount, turning his back in the process, so Jackson takes the rear mount. He throws a couple of huge punches to the head, and Butler immediately taps out after just 1 minute and 27 seconds. Tom, your thoughts on that short, short fight?
1: Yeah, as, as I alluded to, and I'll say it again here, this, this show is a show for, for the wrestlers, um, and it just shows how strong, again, main event aside, but it, it shows that if you've got a strong grapple game, against someone that's got a strong striking game within the world of mixed martial arts as we now know it, it's really a no contest because if it gets taken to the ground, you have nothing to do, whereas at least you've got a puncher's chance if you're standing on your feet as a wrestler. Um, I thought Butler started quite well uh, striking and moving. You know, he clearly he had decent footwork, um, but Jackson just, just just leapt at him and took it to the fence. Um, and that that takedown that he landed, the double leg, was 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 the beginning of the end. It was a big one. Um, and then you know rule book 101. When he when he gave up his back uh, and started feeling those hammer fists on the back of his head from Jackson, this was only going to go one way. Uh, it was too quick really to see much from from Jackson in, in terms of other than you know a good takedown and, and a solid ground and pound. Um, but Butler was out of his depth. Uh, and it was only a minute and twenty seconds. So yeah, de- decent fight. I was impressed with Jackson. I, I, I'd like, I'd like to see more of him.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Really, it was a comfortable, impressive debut win for Jackson. But when you don't know the the opponent, this is this is like one of those UFC fights from UFC eight or something like that, where you've got an elite level fighter or a wrestler in Jackson, a gold medal winning, and someone in there who no one ever really has heard of. And he just was completely overwhelmed by him, so it 's hard to read too much in uh, for for how good Jackson is at this stage or or could even be, um, but there was clearly no match for him, but either way, still an impressive performance from Jackson. You can only beat what 's in front of you, so he rolls on to the final uh, back with the show. Joe Rogan interviews Jackson backstage. Jackson says he feels confident and is ready to go in the final. We then cut to a Maurice Smith video package. His MMA career in the extreme fighting organization where he became the heavyweight champion. They really hype up his world-class conditioning and his fighting IQ. And they say that he may have the best conditioning out of anyone we've seen in the octagon so far. Smith calls Coleman a one-dimensional fighter who only knows how to ground and pound. Smith says that he will out-finesse the champion and take his belt. With that, we move on to the heavyweight tournament semi finals. So, Tom, once again over to you to introduce our two semi finalists.
1: Yeah, sure. Our first semi final is between Mark Kerr and Moti Horenstein. Uh, Mark Kerr is a freestyle wrestler and is a training partner of Mark Coleman. He enters with a 3 0 MMA record, with one of those wins coming over Paul Barlins, who gets mentioned not enough really on our podcast, um, but is making his UFC debut here again. Uh, the Smashing Machine, as he's known, weighed in at 255 pounds for this fight. His opponent, Moti Horenstein, or Stein, enters with a 0-1 MMA record after his loss to a debuting Mark Coleman at UFC 10, so we can't hold that against him too much. He lists his discipline as survival, but has a background in karate. He weighed in at 217 pounds.
0: Back with the show, and announcer Bruce Beck throws to the octagon for Michael Buffer to do the introductions. (laughs) It's Bruce, and Bruce does the introductions, and Big John runs through the formalities and gets us underway. Like an absolute beast, and you can really tell he's in the Mark Coleman mold. He comes straight out and gets a double leg into side mount before maneuvering into position to begin unleashing some brutal knees to the head. He follows these up with some vicious club like punches. Horenstein desperately tries to roll away and to, manages to prevent Kerr from getting into full mount, managing to obtain half guard. This doesn't stop Kerr from landing some more bombs and following up with some hard headbutts. Kerr then postures up and unleashes a few more hammer fists and Big John has seen enough, stepping in after two minutes and 22 seconds to see Kerr through to the heavyweight finals via TKO. Uh, Tom... Your thoughts on this impressive performance from Mark Kerr?
1: Yeah, impressive is what it was. So, again, here we've got wrestling versus karate, or survival, if you want to call it. He um, didn't survive very well against Mark Kerr, who is a huge bloke. He, this guy is stacked to shit. Uh, and you're right, he looks like uh, he's come, literally, for, like if they were to have been cloning versions of Mark, Col- Mark Coleman in terms of the way they move, the way they look, and their, and their approach to fighting... This guy fits the bill. Um, yeah, nice double leg takedown very quick from Kerr. Uh, he landed some big old knees that would have taken their damage. Right hands thrown in there. I thought that actually on the ground, um, Horenstein had some decent clinch defence, actually. He was he was bringing, bringing Kerr in and trying to stop those those big hammer fists from landing. Um, he lasted as long as he could for just over just over two minutes for a guy who was considerably bigger than him as well. Um, It was about a £35 weight difference. Um, But uh, those those hammer fists were too big. And and, 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 yeah, big Jonathan enough. And that that was it. But um, again, very much of the mark. He he looks like a protege of of Mark Coleman. And it'll be interesting to see what happens to him um, after this. So when he's up against a bit more competitive um, uh, opposition after we've seen the main event I know I keep alluding to it but it's really interesting when you look at how these fights go the wrestlers are all being very successful and showing why it's so important to have that strong grappling background and ground game um, uh, when you're up against someone that doesn't um, but this one was, was another example of where wrestling um, uh, skill for wrestling takes over skill for, for karate as, as a discipline and yeah r- really impressive from Mark Kerr.
0: you can bloody tell he's Mark Coleman's dream partner I mean like you say, is the exact same build, the exact same fight or start fighting style, maybe a little bit less intensity but, maybe I mean, Beck was talking about uh, after the fight how in the gym, Kerr, Kerr is known as Coleman Plus, because apparently he has much greater standing technique and has excellent leg leg kicks I mean, Coleman Plus is a very very scary prospect for anyone wanting to enter a UFC heavyweight tournament at this at this time yeah, Coleman's enough to contend with You don't need Coleman plus in there um, He was just far too powerful For Horenstein here I mean he had he, he had speed, he had strength Once he got it to the ground It was a matter of how long would Horenstein survive for And it turned out to be just over two minutes It was a very comfortable uh, Performance from Kerr In his UFC debut
1: yeah, and I just 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 to add here, I do think it is it is important to look at this card and look at how the how the you know we have got a lot of striker versus grappler and karate versus grappler and all this, and I hope that it will sort of teach UFC a bit of a lesson in saying, although although it's good to have difference in styles, there has to be an understanding of okay, when we typically put this type of discipline against this type of discipline, how does it go down? Because I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's fair uh, although I hope that the, the the actual the guys that aren't wrestlers start wising up to this a little bit and again alluding to the main event I think they will um, but it, it's it's a bit too easy for the wrestlers I think in watching these fights and it's a little bit frustrating that's just that's something I felt throughout the card actually but yeah it, it obviously changes moving forward
0: yeah as uh, as fighters become more re- well-rounded and better versed in various techniques they're going to close the gap on on wrestlers um I mean, at, in its early stages, really, like further back than we've gone. I mean, it was more about what discipline will beat the other discipline, and less about this term mixed martial arts. That that concept hasn't hasn't really started to exist yet. Maurice Smith is perhaps the closest in this main event we get to that. Yeah, um, I, I, I would stage. I would
1: I would say that someone else who fits that bill and, and was really successful with it is, is Don Fry. Because al- although his striking is clearly his strongest point, he was never bullied on the ground. Um, and until so... until
0: he came up against Mark Coleman, who who, who is very one-dimensional well, yeah. and did and did steamroll him a bit. Like like yeah, you're right. The, 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 these these better fighters, like you had, I'd say Fry, Shamrock, and Seven, really were quite well-rounded. But Coleman, oh. three of them, and didn't fight the other one. Mm. Uh, in in this early run, so the the progress we did seem to make. Coleman kind of joined the organisation and bulldozed everyone, and then now is where we really start to see this turnaround and why the the main event of this show is so significant because of what Maurice Smith is able to do against a very one-dimensional but seemingly to this point unstoppable fighter.
1: Yeah, we're talking about the main event so much that we haven't we haven't even got halfway there yet. <laughs> Well, like
0: you say, throughout this card, the element of sort of how the wrestlers are faring against the other fighters is is shining and the wrestlers are coming out on top and Kerr being Coleman's training partner. I mean, it all, it all does tie together um, with with what happens in the main event and, and how much of a turning point that is. But, yeah, it's um, a good discussion about sort of what disciplines can overcome the other and, and how it can be an unfair advantage, especially when you can, when you combine elite wrestling and greater size, who has a standing technique. Then yeah, it can, it can be a scary combination. Back, back in these days. Yeah. Yes, very much so. Uh, Kerr is backstage with Joe Rogan. He says that he knew that once he got Horenstein down to the ground, it would have done deal and he was confused about the idea that anyone would ever want to wear a gi in the octagon, as Horenstein was. Kerr leaves, and Rogan then informs us that Joe Marrera is out of the middleweight tournament finals. The reason is not disclosed here, but is later revealed to be due to a concussion. Alternate Anthony Frickland will take his place against Kevin Jackson in the final. Before that though, we've got time, uh, we, we go to the uh, second heavyweight semi-final. So once again, over to you, Tom, for the introductions.
1: Sure. Our second semi-final for the heavyweights is Daniel Bobish versus Brian Johnson. Uh, Daniel Bobish is hailed by the announcers as Tank Abbott with more strength. Um, I would never say that strength was something that I thought the Tank Abbott lacked. Um, uh, controlling his, his language and probably uh, Ground game would be the two things I would point out. But anyway, Daniel, is, Daniel Bywish is primarily a wrestler. Uh, he has a 4-2 MMA record, but is making his UFC debut here, as are many people on this card. He weighed in a, a massive 310 pounds for this fight. His opponent, Brian Johnston, has a background in boxing and judo with a 12-0 kickboxing record. He holds a 2-3 UFC record, but a 5-5 record in MMA. He weighed in at 232 pounds. So, again, we've got a big weight difference here.
0: The fight's underway, and both men immediately charge into the centre of the octagon, exchanging wild heavy strikes to kick things off. Bobish initially gets the better of the exchange before they clinch, and Bobish drives Johnston back against the cage. Johnston escapes and lands a hard right hand at Bobish. Bobish throws heavy leather back Johnston's way, and this is a really, really crazy opening, and it felt like at any point either of them could have just gone down. One of them would have just taken one to the chin and dropped. Clinch again, and Bobish drives him down to the mat into the guard he pushes Johnston into the fence, pinning him down against the cage. Bobish lands a few short forearm strikes before forcing his forearm down across the throat of Johnston, who submits after just two minutes and ten seconds. Uh, Tom, your thoughts on this uh, heavyweight semi-final?
1: Yeah, I liked this one. I thought this was good. It, it started as some, a lot of my favourite fights do. Uh, both, both guys just came out swinging for the fences. Uh, and I always like when it starts like that because um, it can, it's either going to be over very quickly or it's going to quickly turn into something else. And it's quite unpredictable. But um, I, I didn't think it would last long after it had been going for 15 seconds. And it didn't really last, last that long. But uh, yeah, Bobish got the takedown. Um, and he made sure that, that Johnson was, was going nowhere um, when he sort, of, he sort of put all his weight on it and pinned him against the, the bottom of the cage so that it's quite an awkward position to be in because you, you can't roll because your body's almost crunched in, a, in, a, in, a, in like a C shape and your neck's obviously feeling the pressure of being against the cage um, and yeah, he put that, that forearm on his throat it was hard to see from the first um, the, without seeing the replays actually and you, I, I did see the tap out but I just thought it must have been exhaustion, or he just thought, I can't, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going anywhere. But actually, when you look at it back, he, he did, he obviously was having the, literally the life choked out of him. So he, um, he thought to himself, oh, I'm going to save myself a lot of bother and, and come out of this one. Um, but no, it was, it was, it was a good fight. Um, uh, pretty quick. But again, this was, this was another, another wrestler versus, uh, freestyle. Um, and the, the, the wrestler came out on top, which is a, a, a common thing that we're having in all these. But Bobish was impressive. I mean, again, he's so big. He had lats like the size of basketballs. So when he came walking down, I thought, wow, this guy is, <laughs> is just built like a brick shithouse. And yeah, he, he, he was 78 pounds bigger. Um, and when you've got a man that's 78 pounds bigger lying on top of you, you're not going to be going anywhere and you are going to tap out. And that's what happened here.
0: Yeah, I mean, Bobish is clearly of some calibre because we've seen Johnston, I think you said uh, in the introductions he was two and three before this fight in the UFC. I think we've seen all of those fights. I think he's like on the, been in the timeline since then and he's won a couple of fights, got through to the next round of the tournaments and I think his, his defeats have generally come against Mark Coleman, uh, Ken Shamrock and Don Fry. So he's one of them sort mm-hmm. of in-between guys who can bully everyone below the top level, but when he faces the top level guy, they they can beat him fairly comfortably. But Bobish came in and overwhelmed him, really. and uh, You can really understand the comparison between Bobish and Tank Abbott. Bobish is absolutely huge, so as Ad pointed out his traps, it's like Bobish obviously had a massive gut to him, but he also seemed more muscular than Tank Abbott to me. Yeah,
1: um, I'd agree. And the finish...
0: The finish of this fight came across very Tank habit. I think I remember Tank finishing a fight in almost the exact same way, getting someone to the ground and just driving them, their head, into the cage. Yeah, what, I remember. Like you say, the, the camera angle wasn't wasn't great at first, so it was hard to tell that he, was, he had this forearm choke on. Uh, it just looked like he was forcing Johnson's head into the cage and maybe bending his neck in a way and Johnson tapped. And I thought that's weird because Tank Abbott has finished the fight in the exact same manner not too long ago. But as you say, it was it was a forearm choke. But I think that again, Tank might have even finished a fight that forearm across a neck and lent on it. So very Tank Abbott. Uh, yeah. From a very impressive Bobish.
1: Yeah, and I think that that's just another quick thing I would touch on here is that we we shouldn't be in a in a in a sport which is a sport that's really trying to take off here. We shouldn't be having fights end where people that are watching don't know how it's finished, and the the commentators aren't able to tell you either. Obviously, it's difficult sometimes with camera angles and and what have you, but this sort of thing happens, I mean, it's very, very rare that it happens nowadays where you, you don't know how a fight's ended, be it through different camera angles that are explained to the commentators or what have you, but it's something that, again, does make it come across as a little bit amateur because... If nobody knows how the fight's ended, it takes a little bit of the excitement out of it because uh, you sort of feel, well, what was the point? I didn't even see what happened. It's like, watch, it's like watching a film and then someone covering your eyes for the last 10 seconds and going, oh, here's what, I'll tell you what's happened afterwards. Yeah, it's, it's just sort of, it, you just miss a little bit of it. Um, but that does improve. So, uh, again, that's, that's part of the production that, that improves over time. I just wanted to throw that in.
0: Yeah, uh, the other interesting note I took from this is, I was surprised that it's Brian Johnston's last ever MMA fight. From here on in, he leaves the sport, transitions into pro wrestling, and, and never comes back. Um, I, 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 there's a lot of guys in this timeline we've seen, I think Don Fry being one of them, that don't come back to the UFC and go over to Japan, but they do continue with MMA in Japan. Um, Brian Johnston isn't one of them, and like I say, he, he has won fights and he's won fights. Well, well in the past have been impressive and it clearly wasn't for him because he transitioned into other things which I think is a shame because I quite mm. liked him and, and felt like he was someone, in In 2017 he, he would he would have been a ranked fighter but maybe never the champion to put it in those terms. Mm. I, I do quite like him though. Uh, back with the show and Bobis is backstage with Joe Rogan for a short interview in which he says he's very comfortable striking and is ready for the finals. We transition to a UFC flashback video package which uh, focuses on Mark Coleman and his dominant victory over Don Fry at UFC 10, which leads nicely into a Mark Coleman video package. Coleman says he is only focused on winning whenever he steps into the cage. They cover his UFC 10 debut, featuring the victories over Moti Horenstein, Gary Goodridge and Don Fry. They note how since that night his striking has developed and he showed that in his UFC 12 super fight win over Dan Seven. We cut again to Joe Rogan who is this time joined by Joe Moreira. Moreira says he's exceptionally disappointed to have been pulled from the fight and the doctor won't clear him due to a concussion but he feels fine. Answers and they tell us they're going to be showing us Anthony Frickland's alternate victory from earlier in the evening. So, Tom, over to you to introduce the alternates.
1: Okay, so our alternate bout is Donnie Chappelle versus Anthony Frickland. Um, Donnie Chappelle is a kickboxer making his MMA debut. The hometown boy is known as a powerful striker and weighed in at 178 pounds. Anthony Frickland is a ju- jiu-jitsu practitioner, notes no belt uh, classified, who is also making his MMA debut. He weighed in at 186 pounds.
0: Uh, referee Joe Hamilton gets the fight going and Frickland quickly gets a takedown into side mount. He swiftly transitions into full man and drives Chappelle against the fence. On the ground... Frickland lands some punches from the top and follows them up with some hard headbutts. He pushes up and begins to really rain down with some hard punches, but Chappelle frankly tries to throw back from underneath the mount, drives his elbow across the throat of Chappelle, pushes down hard and earns himself a submission victory after just one minute and 31 seconds. We have a bit of afters um, in this fight. Very controversial. Uh, After Chappelle, Dave Chappelle uh, taps, Sorry, the referee dives in to break up the submission as his protocol. Uh, Frickland releases the choke, no problem. On his way, standing up, he absolutely nails Chappelle in the face with another punch. uh, Completely defenceless, completely unprovoked. He's released the hold, he knows the fight's over. Referee's dragging him off and he stamps down his opponent, who's lying on the mat, stunned. Uh, The referee's furious, and uh, uh, we have Big John McCarthy, who absolutely, steaming red mad, storms into the cage, pulling Frickland aside and berating him. The fans boo Frickland out of the building, but he really plays up to it, playing the heel and egging them on. That was really, really bad. Uh, Tom, your thoughts on the fight and the controversial Finish to it.
1: Yeah, so I mean, this is, this is an alternate. So normally we wouldn't really give this the time of day, but because of the fact that Frickland then went on to be in the tournament, and obviously due to the the afters that you mentioned, it is worth talking about. Um, Frickland, I, I only realised when I was looking into this, he's he actually now fight, he's still, he still still fights today, and he's in Bellator. I didn't realise that. Um, but he's he's in. Very good shape, Frickland. Um, I thought from the start, it looks like he's going to win. Sometimes you can look at two fighters, the way they look at each other, and you say, this guy looks like he's composed and he's confident. Um, Chappelle just started really badly. Um, nice, There was a decent takedown in there. Body shots landed. Chappelle was trying to get out, but... Um, Fricklin was too strong in, in, in full mount. He didn't let him go anywhere, and he, he was never going anywhere either. And, and really, the, let's get to, the, let's get to the, 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 the sort of meat on the bones. That What happened after the bell, it was really interesting because it, it wasn't as if he then tried to say, oh, I didn't know. He clearly just thought, I'm fighting this guy, um, and I'm throwing down with him. And I don't care if you try and drag me off, I'm still going to kick him on the way up. Um, And Big John, I have never seen Big John like that. Bear in mind, I I know you sort of alluded to it, but he wasn't actually the referee in this match. He was on the outside, Um, but he came storming in pinned um, Frickland against the side of the cage and a finger in his face and was just, like really screaming at him because Big John's obviously known for and that's what the ref, part of the referee's job is the safety of your fighters and if anything was to happen to the fighters that isn't within the rules of the sport it's the referee's fault that's at least how Big John sees it anyway and he sees that as such a dirty thing and he's dirty but it was interesting I, I know that you watched it as part of the main show but I watched it as part of the prelims and did, did, Chris did you see the interview with Frickland afterwards?
0: Yeah, they they did put that on the main show. Um, oh, I they, think okay. they were sort of filling time. Because I think when Moreira was ruled out, I think they had to give Frickland some time. So rather than have loads of dead air on the main show, they put on the alternate bout and the uh, the interview and whatnot. And it it, I'm glad they did really, because when he came out for the final, I wouldn't have really understood why um, without having seen this.
1: Yeah. But it was interesting that he said. He said, "I just don't really." Know. He said, "I just need to remember the difference between street fighting and fighting, and you know, fighting professionally." He basically said, "I I I forgot that I wasn't in a real fight." And in a way, you, you think, "Oh, well, that's fair enough, because that's what he's used to." But actually, it's like, "No, no, this is this is your job. This is there are rules here." So, it's and he said, "I'll, I'll be I'll be better next time," almost like a, a naughty schoolboy.
0: Yeah, I mean, as far as the fight goes. Frickland was just clearly too much for him and uh that was that really. He was he was the better fighter and we don't see uh Chappell ever again. So I don't know MMA or you, MMA fighting really wasn't to him, but uh, Frickland's still fighting today, mm-hmm. so obviously it's the other way. Um I mean Bene- you could say you give him the benefit of the doubt, it's his first ever fight. Uh but it was just entirely deliberate and even after Big John got in there to police the situation, um, when the his win was being read out and he was leaving the octagon, he was giving it the big into the crowd and and really playing up to their booze and whatnot. So a part of me doesn't really want to give him the benefit of doubt because it was it was really bad. Like it was so deliberate. Like he broke the hold because the referee was on him and in getting up for I'm just going to crack him in the chin. Um, it was quite quite shocking really like you didn't expect it especially from watching the main show this was just they said oh we're just going to put on this alternate bout to show you how he made his way to the final there was no hint of controversy about it they just put it on the main show sort of killing a bit of time while Frickland got ready for the final so I was quite surprised to see something so noteworthy occur without being mentioned previously um as Tom said, we cut backstage and uh, we got Joe Rogan interviewing Frickland. He appears saying he'll be better next time. It was his first time fighting professionally, and he got caught up in the moment, unable to separate his actions from that of a street fight. We cut back to the and uh, we are shown a video package um, going through the ranked middle middleweights, which is I think some. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the first time I've seen mention of rankings in this UFC timeline.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's the first time I remember seeing it as well. Yeah, I thought the same thing.
0: So, we now have official rankings within the UFC, uh, within each weight class. So, uh, we, I'll run through the current middleweight rankings as of UFC 14. Um, we have the number one ranked middleweight in the world, Guy Metzger. Number two is Jerry Bolander. Number three, Mark Schultz, bit of a surprise name. Four, we have Ensign Inouye. And at number five, we have Yoshihiki Takahashi. Um, as I said, Schultz being in there is a bit strange because uh, he hasn't been seen since UFC 9. And as we well know, he won't be seen again. But obviously, the powers that be considered him a potential part of the product moving forward and thought he might come back into the fold At some stage
1: I wonder if those rankings Are a bit of a Back of a fag packet Job Uh, (laughs) To to explain that To our American listeners If we've got any Listening in The back of a fag packet Is on the reverse Of a cigarette packet Just jotting down Notes basically Uh, With that
0: We move on to The middleweight Tournament finals So uh, back to you Tom To introduce Our two finalists
1: Sure So the middleweight Final is Tony Frickland Versus Anthony Frickland. and no, that's not right, is it? <laughs> that's what,
0: that's Kevin, it Jackson.
1: Kevin Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Jackson. Kevin, Tony Jackson. Kevin Jackson. Kevin Jackson. There we go. Kevin Jackson. I didn't type this. It's Chris's fault. It's Kevin Jackson versus Tony Frickland. Um, so, Tony Frickland enters the final with a 1-0 UFC record. Uh, the alternate weighed in at 186 pounds. And his opponent, Kevin Jackson enters with a (laughs) 1-0 UFC record as well, but he's 2-0 overall in MMA. Uh, The gold medalist weighed in at £199 for this final.
0: Uh, Frickland, as a side note, he entered the arena to a chorus of boos after his actions in front of the crowd earlier in his alternate bout. Uh, And Big John makes sure to have a a special little word with him before the fight in his ear reminding him where he is and how he needs to behave. Uh, Bruce Buffer runs through the introductions and we are underway. Frickland is the aggressor early, pressing forward, but Jackson's able to tie him up and gets a huge slam to take him down quickly. Frickland scrambles and makes the mistake of turning his back, which Jackson takes advantage of, getting both hooks in. He flattens Frickland to the rear naked choke, but Frickland is able to block it. Jackson lands a couple of hard punches, to the back of the head before swiftly going back to the choke and this time locking it in. Frickland taps out after just 44 seconds to declare Kevin Jackson the first ever middleweight tournament winner in UFC history. Uh, Tom, over to you with your thoughts on this final.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was over too quickly, wasn't it, really? We, we didn't really get a chance to see what it could have been, but wow, imp- so impressive from Kevin Jackson. Uh, against uh, again Frickland, the, the way it started, I, I think Frickland was a bit gun ho he was probably adrenaline running through him, he came out with some crazy wild kicks just all over the place, wasn't, didn't really seem to have much of a game plan um, and he probably didn't, bearing in mind he probably wasn't expecting to fight or didn't know who, who he would be fighting. Um, it, was a, it was a really nice transition uh, on the ground for, for Jackson to move on to Frickland's back, uh, really nicely done. And Frickland tried his, tried his best. He didn't want to really give up the neck, like you say. He, he managed to, to hold it off for a short while. But when someone's on your back like that and you're not well versed on the ground, um, it's only a matter of time. And yeah, he, he tapped out and, and we have our middleweight champion, Kevin Jackson. Really, really impressive. And I know we've, we've already talked about it, but it's a shame that we didn't get to see a whole lot more of him.
0: Yes, yeah, just have opponents more on his level for this. I mean, fighting an alternate in the final is, is somewhat of a buy, maybe. That's a bit harsh, maybe not. But he did run through Frickland here. I mean, Frickland for a guy trained in Jiu Jitsu, as you noted earlier, no, no belt listed, but um, maybe he was just panicked and inexperienced in terms of like an MMA fight, but. He turned his back very quickly when on the ground, and you'd think a guy changed in jiu-jitsu would know to avoid that at all costs. Either way, uh, a really dominant performance from a world-class wrestler, uh, again, in the UFC at this stage. A very easy win, as, the, uh, as he had in the semi-final as well. So, dominant from Jackson. Uh, he was a good promo throughout the night and everything like that. Very polished for the UFC to get. Um, being a gold medalist, or they, they consider him to be a big name and uh, perhaps the future star for them at this stage.
1: I think they're hoping that he will be anyway.
0: Yeah. Uh, Joe Rogan then interviewed Jackson Cage side. He says he wants to fight everyone and anyone. He wants to fight as many champions as the organisation could throw at him. As I said, very polished promo. Uh, and taking a look at his sort of career from this point. It's surprising to see how quickly he's going to fade away and, and, and not be a part of even the short-term future, really. He, he, he does fade away rather quickly, but that will be covered on future editions of the show, I'm sure. After that, we transition straight to the heavyweight tournament final. So once again, over to you, Tom, to introduce our two finalists.
1: Okay, so our heavyweight final is Mark uh, versus Dan Bobish. Mark Kerr enters the final with a 4-0 record and weighs in at 255 pounds. And Dan Bobish enters with a 5-2 record and weighed in at 310 pounds. So we have a 55-pound weight difference here.
0: As you say, Bobish has the huge size advantage here, uh, but Kerr has the much higher wrestling pedigree. Uh, Bruce Buffer and John McCarthy get us going for the UFC 14 heavyweight tournament final. Bobish presses forward quickly, but Kerr is able to land a couple of monstrous leg kicks and continues to circle away. Kerr shoots in for the single leg takedown, with Bobish init- initially stuffing it, but eventually succumbing to Kerr's power and going down. Kerr is in side mount, holding onto the single leg, and lands a hard knee to the head of Bobish. The position there on the mat actually resembled like a pro wrestling pin, Kerr was on top, to the side, and he had one leg of his opponent hooked. So, if this was a ECW and another one of their shoot fights, we'd have seen a, we'd have seen a freak out here. Uh, Bobish looks to escape from this position, but Kerr is far too strong and holds him in play. He to unload with some hard shots before jumping across to the other, other side of Bobish's body. From there, he leans in and presses his chin down into Bobish's eye. Which is pretty brutal, uh, for the submission victory as Bobish taps out after one minute and 36 seconds. Uh, Tom, thoughts on that short but sweet final?
1: Yeah, it, it had a weird finish, but I, I, I'll, t- I'll t- touch on that in a minute. I thought Kerr was, was started well, actually. He came out and landed a couple of really big leg kicks, uh, started as he means to go on, came out uh, on the front foot, uh, aggressive and uh, precise. Um, Bobish had some decent takedown defense that he that he brought out and tried to keep Kerr at bay, but but he got it he got it eventually. Um, Bobish threw some threw some good elbows, um, uh, but but there there, there was there wasn't enough in it. Um, Kurt has a really nice movement on the ground uh, and, and and just it, it it I was really surprised actually when it ended because I thought the flow. You, you can sometimes tell with the flow of a fight how quickly it's going to end, just you know, due to the positions of the fighters, or um, you know, if it's been going on for a certain number amount of time. But with this, I, I, it felt odd to me, and I thought I need to see a replay. And yeah, chin in your eye. I mean, that's that's a, that's a new one on me. Uh, I, I, did it look intentional to you, Chris? Did you think that that's what he intended to do, or do you think that he just was pressing on him, and it just so happened that that's what happened that made him tap? I
0: think it looked entirely deliberate to me. I mean, mm. he, he sort of... Whether he meant f- to get the position of chin in the eye, I don't know if he was going for that, but once he found himself there, pressure to that situation to get the finish on purpose, I think. Whether he was going for that or not initially, or once he hopped across, he found himself higher up bobish's body and in reach, but it was very unusual and a very seemingly, not technically against the rules, but it felt a little bit of a dirty way to end the fight for me.
1: Yeah, I'd agree. It, it, it felt, uh, and I, I agree with you, I think he did do it on purpose, but it's a really, I mean, really weird one to do. Like, even in training, how would you think that? It's like, in this position, I'm just going just to just, like press on your eyeball with my chin and eventually it'll, it'll hurt so much you have to stop. I mean, what are we going to have to do? Start putting... Eye guards on the on the on the fighters, so people don't poke them in the eye and that. It's just really really sort of quite just dirty and, and not not sportsmanlike, and I I didn't like it. But uh, hey, it worked and it got the job done and it's within the rules. So who am I to disagree?
0: Yeah, I mean no matter what our thoughts on it ethically, uh, it was a dominant performance, well within the rules, and he ran through his opponents in a very Mark Coleman esque way. Um, mm. It's a horrible submission. Um, But it's a legal one, so no complaints, really. Uh, It'll be interesting to see where he goes. I'm not actually sure. I do do usually, like, read up on guys and their futures from the but he seems to have passed me by because I didn't really make any notes on his future. But I'm kind of looking forward to the element of surprise with him because, uh, like, I'm not familiar with him, really, so I don't know how long. Yeah, Kerr. sorry, I'm not... Yeah, I'm not sure how long he'll be around the UFC. Uh, seemingly, all the all the best guys in this era are, are not long for the future in the UFC, and they'll be off to Pride very, very soon. Um, yeah. I don't know if he goes off to Japan and whatnot, but he was very impressive here. And as, you, as I said earlier, the uh, announcers, Coleman Plus is a scary prospect. Coleman with a bit of standing technique and leg kicks. Prospect, yeah. and I'm not sure I'd want to fight that
1: yeah and i can I can tell you again because we don 't need to worry about you know looking into the future on this one. He does uh, go on to have a very very good run i mean uh, in in october ninety seven that 's the last time that he fights the uFC and then he makes his way to pride uh, and he 's there all the way through till well on and off through to two thousand uh, and six and he he he's fought a load of load of fights all the way through to two thousand and nine so he had, he's got a long long career ahead of him so it's good to see someone at this early stage and in such a uh such a dominant way as well. He, he goes on to get to get nothing but wins. So we've really seen the uh the making of a of a, a truly dominant and, and great fighter here, so that's really good to see.
0: Back with the uh live show uh, and it's time to take a look at the heavyweight rankings which are as follows. We have obviously the champion Mark Coleman. Uh rank number one outside of that Don Hoftom I'm sure. And uh, number two, we have Vitor Belfort. Uh, number three, we have my old boy Marco, whose name I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. Marco Ruha. Uh, Ruha! Then we have <laughs> Marie Smith and finally Dan Seven. There. I mean, uh, Marie Smith, yet to debut for the organising. Uh, our old friend Marco hasn't fought it since you FC7 trying to get him back with the organisation, whether it be finance and whatnot. Um, and, and I think as well, Don Fry, he doesn't fight again. Uh, so a few odd ones. Um, yeah, it does feel a bit cobbled together but again, they,
1: doesn't
0: it? Coleman, Fry, Belfort and Seven and Smith, I suppose, is still a pretty impressive top five, but wait to these rankings... At this early stage. Uh, with that, we cut across and it's time for the Superfight. So, over to Tom for the introductions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Let me just bring up the page that I've just gotten rid of because I was trying to read something else. But that's what I get when I multitask. Uh, so, our Superfight uh, Maurice Smith versus Mark Coleman. Uh, much talked about within the show And talked about even more within our show So if you're not ready for this now Then you never will be Maurice Smith is a kickboxer Who enters the fight making his UFC debut uh, But holds an MMA record of 5-7. Smith weighed in at 220 pounds His opponent is the defending UFC heavyweight champion Mark Coleman And Mark enters this fight with a 6-0 record With all six of those wins coming in the UFC So he is a veteran at this stage The wrestler weighed in for this super fight at 245 pounds, so a 25 pound weight advantage, if you want to put it that way, uh, on Maurice Smith.
0: Uh, In his pre-fight vignette, uh, Smith is asked about Coleman, and uh, he describes Coleman as someone who punches like a girl. Which is pretty bold. Uh, Bruce Buffer uh, runs through the formal introductions, including highlighting Smith as the final ever extreme fighting champion, further promoting the unification aspect of this fight. Big John's in charge, and he gets us underway. We have a 15-minute uh, time limit for this one, with two optional three-minute overtimes. Coleman presses forward. And after a brief feeling out uh, period, he uses his world-class wrestling to score an aggressive takedown into Smith's guard. Coleman immediately unloads with a barrage of headbutts and some powerful right hands, and Smith looks in real trouble early on. He somehow manages to weather the Coleman storm and holds on tight, keeping an effective guard locked on, which prevents Coleman from passing. Smith lands a few nice elbows and short punches from the bottom, and Coleman stops throwing punches and strikes to begin concentrating on passing the guard but is at this point unsuccessful. Smith continues to land from the bottom but without a lot of power. Coleman briefly breaks through into half guard but Smith quickly recovers and gets back into full guard. Around the four minute mark Smith begins to unload with 12 to 6 elbows which land right on the top of Coleman's head. Coleman becomes slightly more frantic in trying to pass the guard, as a result, finally managing to escape into side mount. Smith turns his back. Coleman spins into a back mount and looks to lock in a rear naked choke. I have no idea how, because uh, Coleman was, but Smith managed to evo- manages to avoid it excellently. He rolls back onto his flat on his back, and uh, Coleman this time gets into full mount. This mark, and Coleman begins to let his hands go, looking for a trademark ground and pound finish. Smith, in panic, gives up his back again and tries to roll free, but this time, he manages to avoid the choke and roll through with Coleman into half guard. Coleman in half guard, looks really tired here, and his offense has really slowed down, and at this point he just seems to be maintaining position on top of Smith. Roughly eight minutes in, after a heroic survival effort on the ground, the crowd erupts into huge Maurice chants. Uh, Smith is defending so well from the bottom. Coleman then jumps to the other side and looks for the same headlock neck crank submission that he put Dan Seven away with, but Smith is able to block it, avoid it, slip out and roll back to his feet. The crowd pop big for that. Smith's face is marked, but Coleman looks the more exhaustive fighter, hands on his knees as Smith begins to close the distance with five minutes remaining in regulation time. Coleman shoots in for another takedown, but this time Smith avoids it. As Coleman's returning to his feet, Smith throws a vicious head kick, which catches Coleman on the way up. Big Johns immediately steps in to break things up, as he has ruled it was a foul. Apparently, Coleman was still down on his knees when the kick landed, but they don't replay the incident. In 2017, I do have the benefit of fight pass and being able to rewind it, and for the record, Coleman was absolutely for sure back on his feet when Smith kicked him. Um, in real time, it's really hard to tell, but when you slow it down, uh, Coleman was back up, and it, it shouldn't have been a foul. Uh, either way, the foul isn't really of a major consequence. It's not like you're deducted a point or anything like that. He's warned, and three and warnings would result in, in a DQ, and there's, there's no further incidence of, of fouls from either guy. So luckily, it didn't affect the fight in a major way, and the kick didn't really rock Coleman or anything like that so it's not like you benefit from the the short pause, but either way, it was worth noting. The fight resumes. Smith presses forward against the exhausted Coleman, landing a few leg kicks. He throws a kick to the head, but Coleman ducks it and gets a takedown into half guard. Smith manages to get full guard, but is by far the busier of the two on the ground, throwing a lot of brutal elbows to the head while Coleman lays there looking absolutely spent. Twelve minutes are gone, Coleman manages to pass into side mount looking for the neck crank again but Smith is able to defend with some knees from the bottom forcing Coleman to let go half guard with a minute to go Coleman is still not throwing any strikes and he looks for a submission hold for the third time Smith is able to slip out roll from the bottom and leave Coleman flat on his back on the mat sorry Coleman flat on his front on the mat Smith is able to take his back Smith doesn't attempt anything, instead opting to let Coleman up so he can try and put him away on the feet. Absolutely done here. He's completely out of breath, seemingly cranking up and every possible opportunity bending over hands on knees, trying to regain. Smith doesn't relent and he presses forward and lands a lovely kick to the body. He lands a lovely jab and Coleman just stands there and takes it. Uh, Smith doesn't really put too much pressure on, and he allows the 15-minute time limit to expire, and we are headed into overtime. As I said before, there are two three-minute overtime periods. Uh, the first one begins. Smith presses the action, landing some nice leg kicks. Coleman appears far too tired to even consider shooting in for a takedown. It's cool, Smith here, but he could be more proactive. He's barely striking against an opponent who's too tired to attempt to defend, but he is in complete control. Two minutes into the round, Coleman tries the most exhausted takedown you have ever seen, which Smith avoids with ease. He finally begins to open up in the last minute of the first overtime period. and He throws his, real fir- uh, his first real standing combination of the fight, landing three hard punches in quick succession and following up with a head kick, which lands flush. Smith backs off and begins to taunt Coleman as Coleman crouches to try and regain some breath. The first overtime period comes to a close and Smith celebrates. The second overtime period is underway and we're into the final three minutes of the fight. Smith comes out and lands some more leg kicks before trying a head kick, which he misses and slips onto the mat in a major way. Coleman is standing right there in front of him but is absolutely dead on his feet and does not even attempt to capitalise. Briefly, briefly comes undone, so Big John calls time to have it taped up, which give Coleman a much-needed 10 seconds of rest against the cage. The action resumed, and to create some drama, uh, some of the lights around the arena begin to go out, casting half the octagon in darkness, but the fight continues regardless. Smith is landing the occasional jab and following it up with leg kicks as Coleman just stands there, a huge stationary defenceless target. Coleman, in the last minute, tries one last desperate takedown, misses by a mile, and we reach the end of the fight. We've had 21 minutes of action for the UFC Heavyweight Championship, and we go to the judges to announce that the winner by unanimous decision and new UFC heavyweight champion is in fact Marie Smith and the announcers sell this as the biggest upset in the history of the organisation. Thank you for bearing with me through that long uh, match report. Uh, What are your thoughts on all of that?
1: Well, uh, where do you start? I mean, what about that ground game from Marie Smith? eh? Nobody saw that coming, especially Mark Coleman. When when I saw Frank Shamrock in Maurice's corner, uh, I figured that there may have been some work done. But this guy defended really, really well. Um, and the, the, the problem here, I won't go through the fight bit by bit because you did that to a, to a very generous level there, Chris. But w- what I would say is the, he, Mark Coleman only had one game plan here. And he he had no idea what to do when it didn't work and i th- I just don 't think he expected um Smith to be able to defend the way that he did. He wanted to put that crank in he wanted to get him on the ground, flatten him out, and cinch it in and it didn 't work and he didn't he got so, so tired so quickly that 's what surprised me because we 've seen him go for some you know not always lengthy fights but we've we 've seen him go before, and i 've never seen him be so quickly um, out of breath and just my God, I, he, he did so little. Went, and throughout the, throughout the fight, the commentators were saying, well, uh, I, I think that Smith may be making a comeback here in terms of points. Other than the takedowns, he did nothing, Coleman, absolutely nothing. And Smith was constantly throwing elbows from the ground, Justling for position, trying to get out, and Coleman was just i don 't know what he was doing like he, 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 looked, he looked like he 'd had the wind taken out of him, so I was thinking maybe had he had he, had, like, had he been winded or something, but I mean it went on for twenty odd minutes and he just he did it constantly so and yeah and and Coleman just um, just couldn't pass couldn 't pass guard and just kept holding him in position, and there were some more elbows and then that transition where um, it went to side mount and then then um, uh, Coleman gave, uh, sorry, Smith gave up the back, and then Coleman went into full mount, and all these things where so many options were presented to Coleman for him to do something and to put, to put a choke in or to even you know try and try and suffocate him to the point where you, you do anything. He did nothing with all these opportunities and positions that he found himself in. The crowd quickly changed their mind from really aggressively chanting Coleman at the start, to chanting Marie Smith after about. Seven minutes, which I thought was a bit fickle. Um, but yeah, Murray Smith was a superstar in this. The escape that he did about nine minutes in was amazing. The way he just wriggled out, and it was almost like I think he used the sweat that was pouring off Coleman just to just to wriggle out like a snake and slide his way out. Um, and uh, that, that 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 at the end of the um, the, the first uh, fifteen minutes, when Smith took Coleman's back, that was amazing. I I jumped out of my seat. I thought it was so, I was awesome because it was it was just like. I don't know. It feels like the future of the UFC versus the, the past of the UFC in this a little bit. And Smith just had so much more about him. He was, all, he was he looked confident as the fight on. He got more and more confident. He was, he was sort of dancing around a bit and sort of trying to egg Coleman on. And you, you alluded to it, but a couple of times the, the, the late um, takedown attempts that Coleman did, it, it, certainly in the overtime sections, it was almost embarrassing. He couldn't stand up. And Big John kept saying to him, do you want to finish? Do you want to finish? And he was like, no, no. So he was defiant, but he was doing nothing. Um, And Smith, unfortunately, wasn't able to connect with anything clearly enough or with enough power um, to finish it. But I think after being smothered by Mark Coleman for 15 minutes, I'm not surprised. Um, So overall, I was really, really impressed uh, by Maurice Smith here um, and utterly shocked by Mark Coleman's lack of game plan and lack of ability to think on his feet and think okay well if this isn't working I'm going to try something else it was almost like it was a one-trick pony you know if I don't know if this doesn't work I'm literally just going to draw a blank and keep trying it until it does Uh, it was a fascinating fight and I I cannot recommend that people watch it enough and that stuff in the second part of overtime with the lights going out was just that was just sprinkling sprinkling, um, icing on the cake um just to make it even more 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 interesting as to what was going to happen next um but no just a fascinating watch and i it it, 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 it was a great match i mean it wasn't a great match in terms of back and forth and you know entertainment value but in terms of the interest and the way that it went against expectations and the way that coleman sort of showed himself up a little bit in terms of his lack of depth um in decision making etc was was fascinating so I, i really really love this
0: I mean it's so strange, the only thing I can compare this to within this timeline is doing the boxing podcast and that first tyson holyfield fight and make well and and the second one as well both times Tyson's got this one dimensional game plan as he has for his opponents but he loses his head and Coleman didn't lose his head per se, but he was done um i mean i i shared I knew this was coming and i Shared the announcer's shock. Um, Coleman had just looked completely unstoppable up until this point, and he ran through opponents of the highest calibre uh, Gary Goodrich, down seven, Don Fry. None of them could cope with him on the ground. Uh, it was stunning, really. And Maurice Smith was a superstar, as you say, on this night, but I mean, he entered this fight with a a negative win loss record. He left this fight with a negative ring, ring, uh, win loss record. After beating Coleman, he was still uh, six and seven. He retired fourteen and fourteen. I mean, he he did not have a superstar MMA career, but for this one night, he was as good as we've seen. And he did what the superstars of this timeline couldn't do, and better Mark Coleman and expose him. I mean, the only times we've ever really seen a striker beat a grappler in the UFC, I can't pick out individual fights, but the only reason up until now would be the grappler wasn't of an elite level or there's a huge size difference in favour of the striker. None of that applies here, and this was pretty astonishing. And, And the best part of it for me was that Smith didn't even rely on his striking to overcome Coleman. It was the two things that were highlighted in his video package earlier which was his conditioning and his fight IQ. And then uh, he had a better game plan. As you yeah. said, he had Frank Shamrock in his corner, and in the, the lines then, and work and plan to exploit a weakness in Coleman that they found, which was his conditioning, and they recognised that if he could weather the early storm from Coleman, which he did, and not allow Coleman to overpower him on the ground and pass his guard, he did, they could expose Coleman to be one-dimensional game plan that was executed tremendously. Um, sorry, Tom, what were you...
1: Uh... I was just going to say, I, I, one thing that we haven't we really touched upon was just um, um, Smith's composure and the ability to be underneath the UFC heavyweight champion for the majority of the fight and keep yourself composed, keep, stick to the game plan, think on your feet as in right what he's trying i'm defending he can keep trying it i'm going to tre- keep landing these elbows and eventually he's going to get tired and i'm going to find my way out it was a real master plan and it worked. and it just for me showcased why it's so important to have uh, a, a plan b when it comes to you know ufc and mixed martial arts and Coleman didn't have one and that was his biggest problem
0: yeah uh I mean, I am sad we've reached this point in the timeline. I knew it was coming from day one with Coleman, but I've absolutely loved watching him. Uh, his intensity was unrivaled for me, uh, and the way he just steamrolled guys. In his exceptional, and from here he, he loses his next two UFC fights, like whenever they are. I think they're across the next eighteen months, and then he doesn't fight again for the organization till 2009. So. This Mark Coleman train has come screeching to a halt, never, and we're never really going to get that momentum back. And, and maybe we'll never see the guy we saw in his first six fights. Maybe we'll never quite see that guy again, which is, which is sad. Um, but sensational here. And I'm looking forward to seeing him fight next. I mean, him and Shamrock, Frank Shamrock were talking after the fight about potentially fighting Vitor soon. I don't think that fight gets made though. Um, but it was just, he, on this night, was as good as anyone we've seen in the octagon till now.
1: Yeah, it was, it was a fascinating watch. Um, and I, I share your, um, it's almost sadness in a way, that Mark Common, who has been to this point uh, an abs- a, a legend in the fights that we've seen him in. Just so dominant, so impressive, so uh, impossible to stop. But he was stopped here, and it's just it's such it's such an important fight. Thing I, I think I think this is one of the, this is one of the if not the most important and pivotal fights that we've seen up to this point, point. Um, and it just shows how important um, the, the points that I've touched on already are. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't I can't talk this one up enough.
0: Yeah, uh, certainly if me and Tom haven't said it enough. Uh, this fight is, is a must-watch for, for its, its historical significance. Such a huge upset in the early UFC days and one that, I mean, it's hard to overstate what the course of MMA history, really. Um, this It's such a pivotal moment in, in shifting the way the sport developed. So it really is must-see. Uh, back with the show. Uh, Smith is interviewed very, very briefly. Cuts a very polished promo. He thanks all of his team, everyone at the Lines Den. He says, "Congrats to Mark. He fought a hell of a fight. Very willing to fight him again if he wants it." Uh, after that, the announcers wrap up the show. Upset this was, and that brings UFC 14 to a close. Um, before we finish and and do the uh, our thoughts on the show and whatnot, there's a quote here from uh The Wrestling Observer, but it's a a quote from Frank Shamrock just on on what he thought of the main event. He says that everything he did, we had practiced to a T. It was textbook. We worked out how to pick apart a wrestler. We knew it was just a matter of how well he'd last for the two or three opening minutes. So he also says that uh, he knew that Coleman wouldn't be able to knock Smith out, so the only danger was getting caught in that trademark submission the headlock neck crank on the ground Um, and even though beforehand no one really within the the no holds barred community as he referred to it was giving Smith much of a chance in the fight, both him his team and Smith Shamrock, uh, his team and Smith were all very confident of how they were going to win this fight They, they really believed that they had the game plan and the fight had to pull it off and they were very much proved right with that, Tom, uh, we'll come to you, uh, before we talk about the show more generally, two more specific... May I please have both your fighter of the night and your fight of the night?
1: Yeah, it's glaringly obvious, and I think probably more obvious than any, any card I can remember reviewing, uh, in saying that my fighter of the night is Maurice Smith, and the fight of the night is Maurice Smith versus Mark Coleman.
0: I mean, I'm going to... Keep it short and sweet. Echo both of those. Uh, Little shout-out for for Mark Kerr and a little Mm -hmm. shout-out for uh, Kevin Jackson as the two tournament winners, but neither of them did anything in the universe of what Smith pulled off in this main event. Yeah, Tom, uh, more generally, uh, overall thoughts on the show, score rating out of 10 for UFC 14.
1: It's a tough one, isn't it? Because you can't help but be tainted by the way that the show ends or any show ends. Um, uh, up to the point of the main event, I thought it was poor. I, I, I thought that there were um, mismatches. I thought that there were... Uh, many things to dislike about it and not much to like about it. I mean, again, it wasn't the production. It wasn't anyone's fault as such, but it didn't, it didn't flow well. There weren't any good fights, and, there, and I mean that. There, there, there was a couple of okay ones, but there were none that are worth going back and watching. Um, but the main event it was uh, truly exceptional. So um, I don't want to overstate it because it was just one fight. Uh, so I am going to give this one... 5
0: out of 10. Okay, I, uh, I agree. I echo pretty much all of those thoughts. wasn't the best UFC show we've seen. Tournaments featured mostly mismatches, squash fights, and the opener was, was truly terrible. Um, but it's hard to overstate the, the significance historically that the uh, main event holds. And so I'd say definitely watch that. Watch that fight. Don't bother with the rest. You can skip this. Uh, it's so hard to give a score rating because... I mean, I... I but talking about the main event, I'm, I'm excited again, so I'm going to go a six. Slightly higher, which is probably the wrong the wrong score, but there you go. I'm sticking with it. Um, before we wrap up this edition of the podcast, we'll come back out of the time machine and return to 2017. Uh... This weekend, Tom, we start of modern times as we have a uh, forty-nine and O Floyd Mayweather taking on O and O Conor McGregor inside the boxing ring. Um, I've already discussed this fight to some level and detail on the uh, boxing podcast last month, but I think it's only fair that as a huge MMA and combat sports fan, you you get your say on this podcast, Tom. So uh, take it away. The floor is yours for some discussion around the uh, upcoming Superflight
1: yeah sure and I think it is just worth touching upon that with this being the MMA podcast you know Conor McGregor is an MMA superstar so it, it belongs as much on this one as it does on the, on, on the boxing one although it is a boxing match uh, it, it's both 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 games and it's you know, I, I've I've been following this since the moment it started being talked about, and that's within the last 12 months, really. You know, regardless of what anyone says, this has all come about in the last year, um, from being discussed to actually being finalised. And I'm I'm fascinated by. it. I, I, I love Conor McGregor. I, I I watch every fight he he's in. I think he is the most entertaining fighter on the planet in any sport uh, of any, not just combat sports. There is no one that I enjoy watching in sport more than conor mcgregor and this is just an absolute showcase for him to show why why that is and why so many people feel the same as i do the fight itself i i have no uh, misconceptions i am not deluded i think that floyd mayweather is going to win however conor mcgregor does stand a puncher's chance Um, he is going to bring a style of fighting that that Floyd Mayweather hasn't seen before. And it's very unpredictable. We've seen the unorthodox stance that he brings to his uh, MMA game, very low center of gravity, wild flaying flaying arms. Um, You know, his strikes are... He's unpredictable. It's hard to know when he's going to hit you, and when he does, he he will connect. Um, But Floyd Mayweather is notoriously hard to hit. And it's going to be a fascinating fight. However, what I would say is that the first few rounds are going to be fascinating. The rest of it could turn out to be quite something different. So my prediction is that Floyd Mayweather will win. Um, I'm finding it difficult to predict how that's going to happen because I think Floyd and Connor will both come out swinging because Floyd Mayweather, before he turned into Money Mayweather and became the most boring person on the planet, actually was someone that came out and wanted to fight people and actually had some good fights. I think he'll want to do that a bit here as well. Um, because otherwise, if he goes 12 rounds and someone says, yeah, even though Connor lost, it took you 12 rounds and you couldn't beat him. I don't see how, I mean, I know it'll give him his 50-0 record, but Floyd can't really boast about that. So I think he'll try and put Connor down, which could create some interesting um, opportunities for Connor uh, with that left hand of his to catch him. And we'll see. But um, it's a fascinating fight. It's a huge fight. It's great for both sports, I think, no matter what anybody else says. Uh, so many eyes on the product and... I will be staying up throughout the evening through to uh, being so excited I won't be able to sleep even if I've tried um, up to about, what will it be, 5am uh, Sunday morning. So, yeah. Uh, yeah and also, if we lucky. If we're lucky. Also, it's my birthday on Saturday. So, um, <laughs> this, is a, this is a gift, I think. Can't wait.
0: I, I mean, I echo pretty much everything you said there. I'm looking forward to it, but I'm firmly in Connors camp, but have no Misconceptions or delusions about the outcome of this fight, the only thing that I would disagree with that you said you think is good for both sports and i mean and if owen conor McGregor steps into boxing and knocks out what a lot of people would consider the greatest defensive boxer of all time, if not the greatest boxer of all time and um that's not good for boxing uh in my opinion, like I think m m a can't lose here, and this is the MMA podcast, and we're both primar- primarily MMA fans over boxing fans, and I don't think there's a way that MMA comes out of this fight worse off, but there's very much a way that boxing could, could take a, a massive hit to its integrity.
1: Yeah, I can see where you're coming from, but I just think that uh, it, it's Floyd Mayweather is 40, what, he's going to be 41, I think he's 41 by the time he's fighting, or is he still 40, I don't know, but if, if he was to lose... It could be easily explained by, you know, people saying, well, he's in the latter part of his career. He's not the fighter he was. He's clearly lost the step. And Conor McGregor has shocked the world. But I don't think anyone's going to think that Conor McGregor is going to come in and, 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 you know, become world champion. They'll say he beat, you know, and all the stuff with with with, with Paulie um, in his, his training camp as well. And about the sparring and about, the, you know, all that. Even that's been covered up now by saying, well, the only, the only reason he was able to get punches in on Paulie um, was because the, uh, because he's too old and he, and he thought the fire he was. So I reckon the boxing world could easily turn around from this and say, well, Floyd Mayweather isn't the, one, isn't the, isn't the money Mayweather that we used to know. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but let, put it this way, if Conor gets n- knocked out in the first round, it will look bad for MMA because it will be, don't come anywhere near the boxing ring.
0: Maybe, but I think, like, we're at a stage now where UFC and MMA is and it might hurt connor but i think I, I can't envisage something happening that will hurt the sport like i mean w- w- the, the sport of mma may be not as healthy as it was last year or the year before with Rhonda and connor regularly headlining shows but uh it's still pretty healthy in the grand scheme of things really coming off that the jones cormier fight and things like that and we've got some big fights lined up for the rest of the year with GSP coming back and things like that.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah. You can't see a wave this this fight no matter what this of the UFC but boxing is struggling for mainstream draws especially in the US. I mean obviously over here we've got Anthony Joshua who's who's a huge star in the UK. Um less so in the states. Um And I do think it could be damaging for the sport. But again, with you, that's a purely hypothetical point. But I don't really put any weight whatsoever on happening. So it's not really worth discussing in great detail, I suppose.
1: Yeah, it's one of those fights that even the people that say I don't like it, I think it's a joke fight. And I think it's just a a comedy, like a clown show just to make money those people are still interested and people are still talking about it. The amount of conversations I've overheard in the pub and in restaurants where people are talking about this fight is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It's more than any UFC or boxing event I can think of recently. Um, It's a big, big fight and it's putting eyes on the product and that's the way I look at it and it's making money. But whether it helps long-term, I I do understand where you're coming from.
0: Uh, One last prediction from you, uh, Tom, the, uh, Pay-per-view record is the Mayweather Pacquiao fight in terms of buys. I think that was 4.6 million. Uh, This is currently, if if you want the over-under on pay-per-view buys, it's 4.99 million. So this is firmly in the favour as going to break that pay-per-view record in terms of buys. How many buys is this show going to do on Saturday night?
1: Well, you want a number from me?
0: Yeah, a, a prediction. Does this does this break that record or? or...
1: It's difficult to say because the, the the numbers are so distorted these days because they they they, they count um, people that have bought it to watch it after the fight and things like that. And I don't know. I, I think it will be there or thereabouts. I really do. I think it, it's got a level of interest from the MMA world that the Pacquiao. Um, you know, there'll be there'll be boxing fans that won't watch, but those boxing fans that won't watch will be replaced. By the hordes of MMA fans. I mean, I can't. I, I, I would be surprised if, if you took ten average MMA fans and there wasn't there was any less than eight of them that would that would watch this fight. So there's going to be a huge number of people watching it. So I think I think it probably will. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, I
0: mean,
1: so I'm oh, sorry. A, num- a number. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go five.
0: You go five million. I think it's just impossible to tell, isn't it? Like. Connor tops out on the U- UFC pay per view at what like 1.8 million. Yeah, and then you add the boxing community to that, you could you could you could be looking at six million, couldn't you? Really, like, or you could be looking at three. It, it depends on the day, how mainstream is this going to be. You might going to have non-boxing and non-MMA fans buying this fight because of the hype, and it's it's all about those really that determine the outcome. It's absolutely impossible to say, really. Just a uh, Another talking point, because uh, obviously this fight is more about the money and the hype than, than maybe a lot of other fights we have in 2017. Um, but I suppose that will about do it for uh, this month's edition of the MMA 20 Years Ago podcast. Like us say, a huge thank you to uh, Tom Martin for joining me on the journey back in time.
1: Yeah, absolute pleasure, Chris. Enjoy these as always. Uh,
0: Tom, you can be found on Twitter.
1: Yep, you can find me at MarkOutMartin with a Y. I have been your host,
0: uh, Chris White. Uh, I can be found on Twitter at uh, ChrisWhite14. Uh, as always, it's been a lot of fun going back in the time machine for uh, the UFC. Always an uh, exciting time, even if the show wasn't up there, but certainly for historical significance, it was So um, thank you very much for listening, and until next time, goodbye.